Hey, we're going to start a new series. Uh, we're going to uh, First and Second Peter, actually. We're going to go through those two books. And so uh, you don't have to turn there this morning in your Bibles because I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction in terms of our introduction to the book of Peter. And so as uh, we get ready to come to God's word, let's just open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that we could gather around uh, the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is a source of encouragement and strength for us, Lord. We thank you for the promises. We thank you for the examples of men and women that we see in the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that as we come and just uh, ponder the things that are in your word, consider uh, the, the story and the life of Peter and his relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be encouraged. I pray, Lord, that we would find uh, uh, the grace that is in you. I pray, God, that we would be reminded of the, uh, the beauty of your forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that we would be uh, drawn towards the power that is in you to, be, to live the transformed life. And so, God, we, we ask that just by your spirit this morning that you would open up uh, the eyes and ears of our heart. We ask, Lord, that by your spirit this morning you would anoint the things that are spoken. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be a soft soil for the seed of your word. We pray, Lord, that it would take root in us and grow and produce much fruit for you and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I thought it would just be kind of fun to take a look. I've had it on my heart to take a look at this man, Peter. Kind of do a little bit of a character study on him as we... Uh, dove into uh, his two books, First and Second Peter. I, 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 think, I think Peter's got to be one of the most beloved characters of the New Testament, don't you? I, uh, as I was telling Lisa and sharing with her the idea of this message, uh, she said something to me along the line of, hey man, don't poke too much fun at Peter. You know, Peter, people always make a mockery of Peter and we like, we poke holes in his humanity so much, and I don't think we do a good enough job of celebrating this great man of faith. And I thought those were good words of wisdom from my wife, because I think Peter is a guy who is easy, easy uh, to poke fun at. You know, there's, there, there are preachers and t Bible teachers who have made careers out of mocking the disciples and their humanity, and especially Peter. Even the crowds of his own day would mock him when he preached with imitating sounds of a rooster cawing to remind him of, of his denial of Christ. And so I would say this, Peter's an easy target, especially when we want to feel better about ourselves and our relationship with Jesus. But I would say this, I think that it is the humanity of Peter that makes him such a wonderful character from the pages of the Bible. You know, with the exception of the Apostle Paul, there probably isn't a character in the New Testament about whom we find more detail and more of his story uh, told than Peter. One of the things that's interesting that as you cruise uh, through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, what you'll notice is that anywhere that the disciples are listed, the 12 are counted, Peter always, is, Peter always comes first in every single list. Second to no one else. No disciple is as often mentioned as Peter. No disciple is, story is more often told than Peter. No disciple was more approved by Jesus and then more reproved by Jesus than the apostle Peter. 
Jesus spoke words of blessings over him and Jesus spoke uh, to no one else, maybe except for Judas, harsher words of correction and rebuke. Uh, you know, like I said, there's this interesting pattern that, that everywhere within the pages of the gospel, Peter is mentioned first on every occasion. And of course, we know who's mentioned last in the list of the disciples, the betrayer Judas. Now, the rest of the order in regards to who might come second or third or fourth varies, but Peter is always first and Judas is always last. And so there's no dispute in the pages of scripture who was first amongst the disciples. It was Peter. For he was first. Uh, you know, and as, as different as a ragtag bunch they were, the 12 were, Peter was clearly the leader. It wasn't that Jesus had given him some unique power to make him chief over the 12. Peter came first because that's just the kind of man that he was because of his character and because of his personality. He just rose to the top. You know, I, I picture him in the fishing business that he operated with his brother and his father and with James and John. I, I kind of imagine Peter in my mind as like the lead hand, uh, the foreman. And the, and the big burly fisherman that he was had that reputation for being outspoken, for being a, quite a character. And I think it was those things about his personality that caused him to rise to the top and to rise as a leader amongst the 12. He spoke up, you know. Peter spoke first. And others seemed to follow him. And so as much as we like to poke fun at Peter, what I love about Peter is this, is I think Peter was a man's man, a working man, a man of character, he had a heart for God and he was a leader of men. Some of the disciples we know nothing about, you know, much more than their names, like the second James, the son of Alphaeus. Okay, who's that guy? Or Thaddeus or Simon. There is hardly any information regarding those characters, you know, besides, besides a name listed amongst the 12. It's good. They're kind of vague, dim, shadowy characters. Peter is just the opposite, vivid, lifelike, kind of a life lived in color, the leader of the 12, the spokesman of the 12, uh, the one who questioned, the one who offered his suggestions, the one who expressed the opinions of the 12. Peter was a bold man of faith. And, you know, he's been called from the things that he wrote and shared, where we're, what, as we're going to see him in First and Second Peter, he has been called the apostle of hope. And I think the Apostle of Hope is an appropriate name for Peter. Uh, because if there's hope for a man like Peter, then there's, a hope, there's hope for a man like me. And in Christ, there's hope for people like us. Now, no doubt, as a leader, you know, amongst the 12, there are these times where you see incredible contrasts in the life of this man. You know, he wasn't... John was, like, you look at the apostle John, the disciple John, and it was like he was kind of like the young princely character amongst the disciples, the one who leaned on Jesus at the Lord's Supper and the one whom Jesus loved. And you get this sense that John did a lot of things right, but Peter was the first. He was the first. You know, there are times when you read the stories of the gospel and and Peter seems to reach these levels of inspiration that you might list them with maybe Isaiah or Moses or Elijah or David, these great uh, characters 
of the scripture. Like the time that Jesus met his disciples and told them to put the boat off from shore and put out into the deep and let down their nets for a catch. And Peter said to Jesus, you know, we've, we've fished all night. We've taken no fish, but at your word, because you say so, Jesus, we'll let down our nets. And we know what happened. He and the disciples caught such a large number of fish that their, their nets beginning to break, had to call over their, their partners in a second boat. And it took two boats to haul in all the fish. And the scripture says the boats were nearly sinking from the weight of the fish. And when Simon Peter saw that large catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you won't be catching fish. You'll be catching men. And the scripture says that at that point, they left their boats and everything behind and they followed Jesus. Or there's the time that Jesus, when teaching the disciples about the Lord's Supper and the eating of it, or teaching the crowds about the disciples, and sorry, teaching the, the crowds about the Lord's Supper and the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood and Capernaum, the crowds began to turn away from Jesus and they called it a hard teaching. Even his own disciples said that it was a hard teaching. And Jesus asked them, you don't want to leave too, do you? And it was Peter who spoke up and said this, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Or of course, there's that time when Jesus traveled north to the Galilee, north of the Galilee with the 12 to the northern regions of Israel up to Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, he said, who do the crowd say that I am? And as the disciples shared their opinions and the answers of the crowd, Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them the personal question, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, with answers and occasions like those three quick stories, it's no wonder that Peter was counted amongst the, as a leader amongst the 12. It's no wonder that at times you want to place him with the greatest men of faith in the scripture. But there are other occasions where you don't want to mention the name of Peter with Moses or David or Elijah or Isaiah. In fact, there are times when you read about him and you wonder if he should ever be counted amongst the 12 at all. Like, you know, his inability to stay awake during times of prayer, that wasn't a strength. He slept while Jesus suffered in agony in Gethsemane. He slept on the Mount of Transfiguration, awakened to discover Moses and Elijah there, and then with his famous foot and mouth disease, offered to build a shelter for the three of them. Okay, Peter. There are the passages where he seems boastful. There's the passages where he corrects and even rebukes the Lord Jesus. There is the terrible and shameful instance of his betrayal of Jesus. When he followed at a distance, when he warmed himself at the enemy's fire and three times denied his Lord, calling down curses on himself from heaven to affirm his denial of Jesus. See, Peter's betrayal was on the same level as the kiss of Judas. So yes, Peter is counted in the scripture as the chief amongst the 12, but like Judas, he nearly made a bed in hell for himself. See, there are such 
extremes and contrasts in the character of this man. He rose to heights and he sunk to the deepest of depths. And sometimes Jesus spoke to him words of blessing and honor. And at other times, Jesus rebuked him and reproved him and corrected him. You know, on that occasion where Peter confessed Jesus as being the Christ, Jesus laid on Peter, spoke of Peter, probably one of the greatest blessings that he spoke to anyone. He said this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to, of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I mean, greater words Jesus, I don't think ever spoke of another man. Yet, in that same chapter of scripture, Matthew chapter 16, just moments later, it seems like when you read the story, Jesus laid on Peter the most weighty of rebukes that you'll read in scripture. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of men. And so we see Peter on the mountain or in the garden with Jesus. And then we see him cursing and swearing that he doesn't know the man. Saint and sinner, all wound up in one person. The contrast is stunning, isn't it? Is it really the same man who witnessed the transfiguration and yet melted before a little servant girl? Who stood with Jesus at what was called the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi, confessing him to be the Christ and who fled from him in his hour of trial? I mean, can the human heart swing like a pendulum from one extreme like that to another? Can a human heart be given over to faith and believe and then to betrayal and denial of its Lord? See, the humanity of Peter and the faith of Peter swing to these unbelievable extremes in the scriptures. And it's, it's, it's those extremes that make him such a lovable and great character of the scriptures. Endearing him to us. Because Peter exposes to us the violent swings of every human heart. To swing from human frailty to faith and back again like a child on a swing. You know, is it possible to experience Christ on the mountaintop and then flee from him in the hour of trial? And I would say, yes, it is. Because I know it true in my own heart. And you know it true in your hearts. See, our hearts long for the glory of God, long to know Jesus, long to experience and live the, the life of faith for Jesus Christ, and yet at the same time, our hearts are full of pride and lust and ambition and jealousy. At one moment, my heart loves God, and in another, it despises my neighbor. Look into your own heart. Look into your own heart. In one moment, our hearts can be you know, caught up, raptured, so to speak, with thoughts of heaven. And in another moment, you know, we surrender to the, the hideous desires of sin and hell that are tucked there in our hearts. So we all know what it's like to be Peter. It's why he is so 
enduring, endearing to our hearts as we uh, read his story in the gospels. Brave and bold and running with his tail between his legs. The joy of victory, exercising faith in Jesus and the defeat and remorse of succumbing to his weaknesses and the desires of sin. You know, at times confessing Christ and at other times denying him who, well, this is us, you know, we deny him who bought us with his blood. Faith in one moment and ruled by fear in another. How could Peter swing from such extremes? That's what I wonder as I read his story. How do you and I swing between such extremes for the Lord and for ourselves? And I would say this, my friends, that that is what the human heart does. That is what the heart does. And eternity is wrestling for our souls, a tug of war. There's a wrestling match. The kingdom of Jesus Christ versus the kingdom of this world. Heaven and hell are at war with one another right within our own very hearts. And and like Peter, our hearts can sometimes produce the fruit of, of being divided, of being divided in heart. You know, when we read the gospel stories, it was Andrew who first brought his brother Peter to Jesus Christ. And Andrew told Peter, we have found the Messiah. We found him, the one we've been looking for. And the scripture tells us that Jesus looked at Peter. And, and I wish I could see that look because as I, as I think about that picture of Christ looking at Peter, I just imagine grace and love coming from the eyes of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, So you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The name Simon means God hears. The name Peter means rock. Now, Peter was no rock when Jesus called him. But that is the nature of God. God calls things that are not as though they were. Our God identifies us. Crash. Wind's blowing, eh? I was like that whistle on the windows here. Kind of annoying, kind of cool. Peter was no rock when Jesus called him. But our God identifies us not as we perceive ourselves in our sin, but he identifies us as we truly are, hidden in Christ and seated with him in the heavens. See, Peter's life more than often in those early days revealed a life not of rock, but of shifting sands. But little by little, day by day, month by month, year by year, the fisherman was transformed by his friendship with Jesus Christ. It's amazing how our friendship with Jesus slowly, sometimes painfully slowly, transforms and conforms our character into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, I get frustrated with myself. I want to take, like you, Giant steps of faith for the kingdom of God. But Peter is a reminder that what Jesus is looking for in his followers is not necessarily giant steps of faith, but small steps in the right direction. That's what Peter did. As the years went by, Peter grew in the knowledge of Christ and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he became an almost unmovable rock as you see his story develop throughout the pages of Scripture. The wavering of the human heart is a strange thing. You know, Peter, Peter waffled before a servant girl. 
He waffled before the enemies of Christ. He denied his Lord. And yet a number of weeks later, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he boldly proclaimed and preached that Jesus was the Christ. And 3,000 people came to faith as he taught. With his Galilean accent, he denied Jesus before the bystanders and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he stood before religious rulers and refused to quit preaching the name of Jesus Christ. See, Peter became what his name meant. Not perfectly. You know, Paul tells us that at one time he had to rebuke Peter for slipping back, uh, you know, pulling back from fellowshipping with the Gentiles because of pressure from the Jews. You know, like each one of us, Peter wrestled with the weakness of his own heart. How does God... And so I would say this, you know, how does, how does God help move us from a life of shifting sand to the development of our character where we become like unmovable rocks? Well, there's a couple of things that we see in the nature of Christ. Of course, his grace, his ability to forgive us. There was a time uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 18 where Peter asked Jesus this, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times, you know, offering this generous number. Should I forgive seven times? And Jesus replied, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You know, if Jesus had applied Peter's calculations to my sin or applied Peter's calculation to your sin, none of us would ever see eternal life or heaven. Peter needed 70 times seven. He sinned and he sinned again. He fell and he fell again. And Peter to us is an example that God in his grace never wears out in his strength to forgive. God in his grace never rejects a penitent heart that turns to him. See, the difference between Peter and Judas really isn't that much. Peter denied Jesus out of cowardice three times. Judas denied Jesus for political and financial gain. And we, when we read this story, we see that, that Peter felt, sin, felt sorrow and remorse for his sin, and Judas felt sorry for himself. Peter looked to Christ in his sin, and Judas looked to himself. And Peter found forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and Ju Judas took his own life. See, Simon Peter and his life is an illustration to us of God's grace to the wavering heart. I have a wavering heart. And I'm sure you can relate. Our hearts, like I said before, can be, you know, caught up with thoughts of heaven and overwhelmed with desires for sin. But the heart of Jesus is bent always towards grace and towards forgiveness. He, he, he has a propensity to forgive and the scripture tells us that the sacrifices of God, what God is looking for in the human heart, is that we would have a, a broken and a contrite heart before him. He promises that he will create in us a clean heart when we turn to him for forgiveness. See, 70 times 7 is a, is a number that tells us that there is no limit to the extent of Jesus' forgiveness to the broken and contrite heart. You know, to look to him is to live. To look to Jesus Christ is to find life. And I encourage you in your battle with sin, 
you need to remember that Jesus Christ has not grown tired of you. His patience has not run out. His forgiveness will not fail. When you turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith, you will find his loving arms outstretched towards you to welcome you home. The man who was called Rock and yet who had these vast pendulum sings. You know, I, I read that story sometimes. I think, what an unreliable guy. If Peter worked for me, I'd fire him. <laughs> Unstable in all that he did. Yet as Peter returned to Jesus time and time again by the power of Christ, he was transformed. Transformed to the point that, he be, that the man who was, you know, once identified as a coward and mocked by the crowds with the rooster's caw, eventually when he faced death in Rome, said, look, I'm not willing to die on the same way that Christ died for me. Crucify me upside down. And he, history says that he was crucified upside down by request. You know, I might say this, I, I, I'm not sure how far you might feel that you have fallen into sin or your denial of Jesus, but I am convinced that if you look to Jesus Christ, you will live every single time. He will forgive you. There's no person who's fallen too far. There is no sin that is too great. There is no one beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. See, your heart can condemn you. Your own heart can remind you of your sin. People can remind you of your sin. Satan may tell you that your, your fall is far beyond the reach of Christ, but Jesus Christ is willing to forgive and restore with his power every single time. And so where sin made Peter's life like shifting sands, there Jesus Christ met him and developed in him the character of the rock, the man, the rock. And he became immovable and resolute and strong and steadfast. You know, in each of our own battle for victory over sin, it can, it can be long and it can be an arduous fight. But do not give up the fight. You know, I'm reminded of what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He said this, 18 through 20. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not, this passage is always a tongue twister. <laughs> now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, sin makes us its victim. <laughs> sin takes our lives and we become its instrument. But the struggle against sin is not hopeless. Because as we look to Christ, he develops in us that character that he developed in Peter the rock. See, Peter knew the reality of the words that he spoke in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, where he said this, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. See, you are being built up to be a dwelling place for the Lord. Like a, like a stone cutter, Jesus Christ is shaping you and molding you and forming you. And he is placing you, he's going to place you into the spot where you will not be moved and not be shaken 
in your faith for him. Do not be discouraged. Continue to count on the restoring power of Jesus Christ when we come to him looking for forgiveness. You know, Peter had two personality traits that every single one of us have. One did him no good and one was a blessing. One crippled the life of faith and one was life-giving to him. One was a fault and the other was a virtue. The no good crippling fault for Peter was his pride. He pridefully boasted in himself. He pridefully boasted self-confidently. It was that same nature that made him a leader amongst the men that also weakened him and, and made him self-confident in his crazy verbal outbursts. You know, it's been said that the secret of the victorious strength in the Christian life is self-distrust. Self-distrust. You know, we saw that over and again through our study in 2 Corinthians, that when I am weak, Paul said, then I am strong. It's when we cast our lives upon Jesus Christ and our weakness when we realize our weakness and come to Christ that he gives power to overcome, strength to stand up under temptation and against sin. Jesus said to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's true. He meant it. Self-confidence is, it's, it's like a sword or a dagger or a, a weapon of death to the work of God in your life. Peter the fisherman, a man who was a picture of human strength, a man who had a mouth to go with it, whether it was to, to question or to boast, we see at times was a very self-assured man. So self-assured, I would say that Jesus tells us that Satan asked to have him. I can't, I can't touch the man, Jesus, and let, unless you let me. But let me sift the man and I'll expose his self-confidence and his self-assured nature. Jesus even told Peter that Satan had asked to sift him. And he told him this, after, after, after it has been done, I've prayed for you that when your strength, that when you return, that you would strengthen your brothers. See, what was... Peter's self-confident attitude the night of the last supper, was it not this? Even if all fall away, Jesus, I will not. Even if all fall away, I'll go to prison and I'll die for you. His strength or his human self-confidence was his weakness. Peter fell in his pride. So if pride was his fault, then I would say the part of Peter's character that made him such a, a lovable guy and a man whom Christ would respond to was his love for God. See, Peter loved Jesus. When you read the story, it's with eagerness, it's with enthusiasm that he followed Christ. It was love that stirred him to follow Jesus. It was a hunger for God that caused him to leave all things behind to follow Jesus. As much as Peter's heart swung from one extreme to another, there was something deep about the man's love for Jesus Christ. Now, Peter doesn't seem to do anything without passion. I, I love the story of John 
chapter 21. And finally, we're going to turn to the scripture. John 21, turn with me there. And we're going to read what happens with Peter. And we'll pick it up in verse 1. Read to verse 14. This is after Jesus has died and risen again. Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for the work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and some bread. And Peter said to them, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although... There were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, it's typical in our lives that when we turn to the old ways, the things that we left behind for Jesus Christ, that what we discover when we go back is just darkness. They went back and it was night. It was night when they entered their boat. It was night when they tried their hand at that which they had left behind to follow Jesus Christ. And they caught nothing. No fish. See, the old way of life will leave you empty. Empty-handed with nothing. Peter had tasted that the Lord was good. And once you have tasted that the Lord is good, when you go back to the old things of the old life, it's never the same. It will not work. You will not find what you are looking for. But it's a great picture in the scripture. It says that it was morning. And there on the shore was Jesus. Jesus brought with him daylight. And he called to his disciples Cast to your net on the right side of the boat. Of course, because Jesus will always tell you the right thing to do. And this was a similar experience for Peter. You remember that, that they had already netted once before such a large number of fish that the disciples uh, could not pull it in. They needed two boats, almost sunk them. 
And it was at that point that the disciples left behind their fishing careers to follow Jesus. And so here, a similar story. And the bells ring clear for John. He says, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. And Peter did something just so great. Check it out, verse 7 again. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for the work, and he threw himself into the sea. Peter put on his outer garment, which is exactly what you don't do when you're swimming. You don't pile the clothes on. You take the clothes off and you strip down to your swim trunks and then you swim. You know, I've never added clothes for the purpose of going swimming. Why did Peter add garments as he jumped out of the boat? Because I would say this, that man had no intention to ever go back to fishing at that moment. He was not planning on returning to that boat. He picked up what he needed and he abandoned ship in his desire to follow Jesus Christ. And I think it begs to ask us the question, you know, in your love for Jesus, is there something you need to abandon? Is there a boat from which you need to jump overboard? You know, according to the list here in the start of John chapter 21, I, I, I counted that there were eight men, including Peter in the boat. And you read something interesting, that eight men could not pull that net into the boat. That it was so laden with large fish that they, they couldn't get it out of the water. But check out what happens. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Eight men a moment earlier were not able to pull that net aboard. How in the heck did Simon Peter pull it into shore by himself? Eight men couldn't do it, including himself. And now Peter does the work of eight men by himself. How did he possibly do that single-handed? And I think there's only one explanation Peter did it by the command of Jesus Christ to him. His weakness was turned into Christ's strength. And the key to turning his weakness into strength was doing what Jesus Christ had told him to do. What the disciples couldn't do in their own strength, Peter did because Jesus said, bring in the fish. And he hauled it in and the net didn't break. See, the word of God is to us the source of strength that we need to uh, to do what Jesus asked us to do. Now, if we were to continue through John chapter 21, the story goes on to tell us of the conversation that happened around the fire. You know, where once Peter had gathered around a fire and called down curses on himself from heaven and denied his Lord. This time as he dined with Jesus, the Lord Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter's reply each time, was this, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus instructed him, then feed my sheep. See, just like Peter, Jesus knows the pride of our hearts. 
And he knows the love of God that is tucked away in our hearts. And Peter said this, and I think he said it knowing full well what he was saying in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. He said, love covers a multitude of sins. See, Jesus will always, always, always lovingly welcome his children home when they turn to him. And your love for Jesus Christ and the time that you spend with him is the key to him transforming your character to become like Peter the Rock. Now, self-righteous pride and self-confidence and self-assuredness is the seal that will stop you from accessing heaven and accessing Christ. And so, you know, as I think of this story of, uh, of Peter and these things, uh, my question is this to you this morning. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Can you say to Jesus what Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know all things, Jesus. You know that I love you as much as I've blown it. You know that I love you. Can you say that? Then I would say this. Let fear be driven from your heart. Let go of guilt. Let go of condemnation. Because Jesus Christ has in his hand those who love him. It's not that you have him, but that he has you. Do you love him? Then eternal life is yours. Do you love him? Then he'll carry you through to the end. Do you love him? Then turn to him in your weakness and let him transform you by his power and by his forgiveness. Amen. Man, let's pray. Worship team, you guys can come up here. Lord Jesus, this morning, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the transforming power that is only found in you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that it's by your word that you call us to walk and live in the life of faith. It's only as we walk in obedience to your word, Lord, that you give us the strength to do what we could not do in our human strength. It's only as we stand upon the promises of what you've spoken, Jesus, that you take our weaknesses and you make them our strength and you manifest your glory and your transforming power through our lives. Jesus, we all have hearts that swing like a pendulum, like a child on a swing in one moment from self-assured, self-confidence, the pride of a self-sufficient heart and another in, in longing to serve you and love you and follow you. And Jesus, this morning, we just uh, bring to you the, the sin of self-confidence, the sin of self-sufficiency. We bring to you the denial of our hearts, Lord, and the things that we sometimes count as strengths that are really weaknesses in our relationship with you. And we ask Jesus that you'd forgive those things again this week, Lord, again this morning. We ask Jesus that by your power, you would transform us. We ask Jesus that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would conform us into your image. We ask Jesus that as we seek you, Lord, that you would help our life more and more to move away from being like shifting sands to being like a house built on the rock.
I thank you, Jesus, that you are building us into living stones, fashioning us, shaping us, conforming us to the image of Christ. And this morning, Jesus, we don't resist you, but we turn to you. In our love for you, Jesus, we turn to you. In our hope for forgiveness, Jesus, we turn to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring about in our lives more and more the Jesus-dependent life. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.